0: If you don't know his name, I encourage you to get to know him. Wendell Berry is an accomplished novelist and essayist and poet who has written a series of novels and short stories, each set in the fictional town of Port William, Kentucky. And these fictional accounts span the pages of United States history from the Civil War Until 2008, tracing the lineage of several families from Port William. And in the little novel entitled Remembering, Barry tells the story of Andy Catlett, who's a farmer and agricultural writer who in 1976 lost his right hand in a farming accident. And for Andy, as for any farmer so accustomed to working with his hands, This loss brought on not only physical pain, but deep emotional scars as he fought to maintain the sense of identity that came from working with his hands. And in the novel, Barry describes Andy's hand as the thing that connected him with the rest of the world. And when he lost his hand, he lost a grip on the world, on his community. To quote Barry, Andy remembered with longing the events of his body's wholeness, grieving over them as Adam remembered paradise. He remembered simple tasks like dressing himself and shifting something from one hand to another. And he remembered more significant things like the feeling of his wife's touch in his right hand. And now that it was gone, now that the hand that joined him to her had been cast away, Andy mourned over it as a priceless map lost forever. And as often as a company's significant loss, Andy became angry and he hardened himself against those closest to him, especially his wife and his children. But at the heart of Andy's anger was self loathing. He was ashamed of himself, and he mourned the loss of his hand by wallowing in shame and self-loathing. And when those closest to him would reach out and offer help and encouragement, Andy would veil his shame in fits of anger and bitterness. And in his desperate efforts to remain self-sufficient, he spent the better part of a year distancing himself from those that he loved. That's always the way shame works, isn't it? Shame and self sufficiency, they always breed division and isolation. And perhaps no one in history knows that truth so experientially as the Apostle Peter knew it on the night that Jesus was betrayed. In fact, as we've already read, the Gospel of Luke suggests that in some sense, all of Jesus' disciples experienced division due to self-sufficiency and self-regard on the very night that he was handed over to be crucified. Luke recounts the revival of an earlier dispute recorded in Matthew and Mark about which of them is to be the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. A dispute the disciples evidently and unfortunately decided to revive on this very occasion when Jesus' mind is occupied with his sacrificial suffering and death. And Jesus, having just demonstrated this principle to his disciples that he now preaches, he prepares for an even greater humiliation than one of foot washing. But what the disciples don't yet realize is that it is only in Jesus' humiliation and their union with him in it, that their own exaltation will come. And so they continue in their brashness. And Peter, of course, is the brash disciple par excellence, and immediately following the dispute that I mentioned, he doubles down on his own self-sufficiency and self-regard by standing firm on his own works. Jesus, of course, foretells of Peter's impending denial, yet he maintains that he, Peter, in his own strength, in his own self-determination, will never deny the Lord. And from a narrative perspective, it seems like for a while he made good on that claim because shortly he came to Jesus' defense with a sword upon his arrest. But of course, we come to learn that Peter's ground for boasting is a lot like our own when we boast In our own self-sufficiency, it's rash and it's fleeting. For just hours later, Peter completes his threefold denial of the Lord to whom he had sworn allegiance unto death. And immediately upon the crow of the rooster, Luke tells us that from where Peter stood in the courtyard of the house of the high priest, Jesus locked eyes with him and Peter remembered He remembered the prediction of his Lord, how he would deny him three times. He remembered his brash self-sufficiency and self-regard. He remembered the shame and fear that he tried to mask in his boasting. He remembered it all. And so he went and wept in bitter isolation. Wendell Berry's novel, Andy Catlett, finds himself at an agricultural convention in San Francisco some 2,000 miles from home after storming out in a rage directed toward his wife and children. And though Andy gets the very thing he wants, which is time alone, he finds that his nights are sleepless and he's visited by the memories of his own shortcomings And staring into the mirror for hours in his lonely hotel room one night, Andy reflects on the catalog of his complaints, and Barry writes this, there is a country inside of him where his complaints live and do their work, where they invite him to come, offering their enticements and tidbits, the self-justifications of anger, the self-justifications of self-humiliation and the coddled griefs. And finally, in a moment of lucidity, Andy realizes, something is happening to my soul. Andy's reflections certainly illustrate for us how the kind of self-sufficiency which led to Peter's denial and self-loathing can permeate our souls, breeding only more shame and more isolation and more division. And this was certainly the case for the church in Corinth during Paul's day. Division, fueled by rampant self-regard, was rampant in the church. So much so that when they were gathered for worship, the Lord's table itself was abused. It was customary in Corinth, as in the churches across the ancient world, to observe the sacrament in conjunction with a common meal. Most likely what was going on here is the church is coming together potluck style to share a meal that exhibited the fellowship that ultimately culminated in the Lord's table. And yet, here in Corinth, the rich were bringing privileged portions and they were eating them without sharing. They were eating them in segregated clusters based on social status. Reality that was antithetical, of course, to the heart of the Lord's table. Make no mistake, Paul is not talking here about a casual fellowship meal at which some people feel slighted. His emphasis is on the gathering of the church for corporate worship, their observance of the sacrament. And whereas the church's practice in worship ought to lead into and emphasize gospel dependency, the church in Corinth was divided at the Lord's table by self-sufficiency and self-regard. And thus, says Paul, the church of God is despised and the flock is humiliated. Paul, of course, is known as the apostle to the Gentiles. And throughout his letters the churches he, to the churches he planted, he made sure to show how the gospel... And our dependency on it is the great leveler of all dividing walls. It's in the gospel, the wall of hostility between Jew and Gentile and between slave and free and between male and female and between rich and poor has been torn down. And this is especially signified at the Lord's table where Christ, who made us all one, has ordained that we gather to remember and to proclaim not only our union with him, but with one another. At the Lord's table, the church remembers her gospel dependency. That's why Paul reminds her of the words of Christ's institution. He calls the church to remember Christ's words, this is my body, which is for you. He calls them to remember the words of the prophet, because Jesus was pierced for Our transgressions, and he was crushed for our iniquities. Therefore, we are to observe this meal in remembrance of Christ. And this word remembrance is a significant one. I think it's lost a little bit in our culture because it refers not to a mere cognitive exercise like memorizing flashcards for an exam, but rather to a memorial act a sacramental reenactment of God's redemption. As the Lord told Israel when he instituted the Passover meal, this day shall be for you a memorial day, and you shall keep the feast of the Lord. And in eating and drinking, you will proclaim to one another the Lord's salvation. And when your children ask about this memorial, you will tell them it is the sacrifice of the Lord's Passover. For he passed over the houses of the people of Israel in Egypt. And why? Why did he pass over the houses of the people of Israel? Because of the blood of the Passover lamb. Blood that signified something greater, something more enduring. The cup that would flow to God's people in the new covenant, which Jesus fulfilled in the shedding of his own blood. And so on the night that Jesus was betrayed, he raised the cup and he said, As often as you drink it, do this in remembrance of me. Do this in remembrance of your gospel dependency, of the fact that the wrath of God has passed over your house because of the blood of the lamb. Do this to remember the Lord's salvation and to proclaim his death until he comes and to feast on his body and blood in union with Christ and with one another. You see, the very reason that Paul cannot commend the Corinthians is they fail to remember their gospel dependency. They fail to remember that what gets them a seat at the Lord's table is not their wealth. It's not their Jewishness. It's the blood of the Lamb. And that same blood washes all who would enter God's kingdom rich or poor, Jew or Greek, upper class, lower class, and therefore gospel dependency necessarily involves deference to and dependence on one another. And so after those lonely hours in his hotel room, Andy Catlett decides to take an early morning walk through the streets of San Francisco. And on this walk, Andy begins to remember things. He remembers his faithful grandmother's voice breathing out the words of Scripture. Out of the depths I cry unto thee, O Lord. He remembers the stories that his ancestors told about finding sweetness and contentment in one's own place. He remembers his grandfather, Matt Feltner, recalling the boyhood memory of working the land on a hot day when he and his cousin came to find joy and relief in a small creek on their land. Andy remembers the home he built with his wife and children, the land and the community that he loves. Andy remembers, to use a Wendell Berry term, his membership, his essential connectedness to those around him, his dependency on them and they on him. At the Lord's table, we are called to remember our gospel dependency. And this includes our dependency on one another, our membership in the body of Christ. This is why Paul exhorts the Corinthians not to eat and drink in such an unworthy manner. Their division, their factionalism, their self-sufficiency, their self-regard, these things call for self-examination before the Lord's table. They call for the repentant discernment of the unity of the Lord's body and the confession of the sins which divide it. They call for a return to gospel dependency and gospel unity. And the elements partaken of this evening call for the same things. They call us to remember that we, like the disciples, have all scattered in self-regard. And that we have all bred division and disunity through our self-sufficiency And yet they call us to remember that the body and blood of Christ have been broken and shed for the unity of the church. To remember that the shed blood of Christ is the only means of our redemption and that therefore we are all on a level before him. Brothers and sisters, we are one body, united under one head, and we share one common meal, and we remember one Savior, Yet how often are we prone to division because of our functional saviors of self-regard and self-sufficiency? The savior of our wealth, which gives us the illusion of prominence in an affluent society. The savior of our activity, which gives us a sense of self-worth otherwise ignored at the Lord's table. The savior of our preferred educational method which ought to guarantee that our children are washed in the blood of either contemporary or classical educational theorists. The savior of self-pity which guarantees our victim status and thereby gives us an emotional leg up against those who might accuse us of isolationism. Or even the savior of our ministry as we pull out our swords to defend a particular method or a particular commitment, regardless of the wounds inflicted on others. There are countless functional saviors among us, yet there is only one bread. There is only one body. There is one cup from which we all drink, and we drink freely from it because Jesus drank the cup of God's wrath on our behalf. This meal... This night, this service, calls us to remember. For when a disciple of Jesus remembers his brash self-sufficiency and self-regard, this meal calls him to remember his gospel dependency. And as we scatter from this place, reflecting on the death of the Lord for us, we scatter in hope. For we have proclaimed the death of a living Savior who has promised to return. And should he tarry longer, we will gather on Sunday morning in celebration of his victory over our own self-sufficiency and self-regard. His victory over death and the grave. Having scattered, we will gather as the Lord's church called into such a gathering by the word of the Lord, through His risen Son, and enabled by the one Spirit that we all share, and together we will sing hallelujah to Him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Be blessing and honor and glory and might forevermore. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit.